0: So welcome for the last time to a small tech snippet with Sean Lally of Cycle Systems Academy podcast and Dimitris Katsanis of Metron and designer for Pinarello. We're recording before the time trial where we'll see uh, one of Dimitris' most beautiful creations in action today. You must be quite excited, Dimitris.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I really want to see that. I think it's a really good time trial. and uh, I hope keeps uh, kind. Uh, my bikes to do well. But, uh,
0: yeah, let's see. Well, Sean, I mean, I've, I've hogged the, the, the microphone, and on the day of a time trial, it would be far too easy for me to do exactly that again. So this time, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna hand over to you as the main uh, host with Dimitris, so get started.
2: Well, first of all, Dimitris, I want to ask how on earth you managed to design a bike even Geraint Thomas can't fall off? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sure he's
1: going to find a way to stay upright, so yeah, that should be all right. Be right. although I have to say I don't think there was anything special in
2: the
0: design for that it's a <laughs> one the most aerodynamic yeah. stabilising wheels that you can possibly get <laughs>
2: I'm sure he's going to manage yeah and it, it's been absolutely fascinating hasn't it watch um, Garion go from sort of seconds in line to the power shift slowly changing and from the outside it seems that Freeman Thomas have really respected each other, really got on with each other, and it really shone a light as a contrast to the famous, say, 1986 tour with uh, Hino and Le Monde, or even the 87 Giro, mm-hmm. you know, with, with Roach and his Italian team. They seem to have been real gentlemen about it.
1: I think this is actually shows the, the strength of the team spirit. Uh, that, uh, you know, the, that in Team Sky, there is, you know, the, I know from my personal experience with uh, Team Sky that uh, they really try to cultivate the team spirit that uh, we are here for, you know, you are here for us, but we are here for you too. And it's not really a one-way relationship. So if things, they go the other way around, you know, we can, like, we can switch around and we can support each other. And uh, I know that by just working with the guys and I know that even since the days of pre Cycling, when Dave B, Dave Perlsford, he was pre-decycling. Uh, I've been in plenty of after-race meetings, you know, when one day finishes and the next day starts. And uh, there's like a review of what happened during the day. And uh, I can tell you firsthand, there is none of these uh, finger-pointing exercises. You've done this and you've done the other. There's none of that. There's always, okay, what happened during the day? and that happened, that was good, that could be improved, and how can we improve it? Which is the, the positive way of looking at the things, and you always try to find ways of doing things better. If things, things And if things change, uh, you change your plan a bit and uh, you get over it and you try to make the best for the team.
2: And what um, is interesting in terms of the tech that I've not quite got, so I hope you can illuminate, I've noticed that the Sky team have been riding the standard F10 on the flat stages and the X-Lite F10 on the climbing stages. But I was thinking with the 6.8 kilo weight limit, does that make any difference?
1: The difference is actually quite small. Um, The the weight difference, if I'm not mistaken, between the two versions, it is um, it's less than 100 grams. I think it's something, the region of about 100 grams, if I remember correctly. And uh, they are all bikes. They're coming out of the same production line, the same production line as the bikes that we're me do we So really the only thing that they're doing is they're just doing a bit of uh, down selection. So as the bike frames they're coming in from uh, uh, the production line, they're putting them onto the um, uh, they're putting them. Onto Scales and they're measuring the weight of each individual one, and uh, they're just picking the lightest ones for the team. The X light is slightly different. The X light is made in a slower process, if I can say, because you have like the the standard process that uh, you manufacture the frame and the fork, which is a very, quite a fast process, in fact, that in the factory and the soil, which then that. Uh, is ending up with the the, the frame in and the fork in some areas, but they need may need a bit of touching up afterwards, you know, to smooth out uh, like the slightly rough edges and so on. And uh, the X like version is made on a slower process, so it's in effect taking a little bit more care. But actually, the time is more than doubling to mm. uh, a frame and a fork. Wow, for grams. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, because uh, you have to take care of every little detail. So actually, the production time is more than double for the X light, and uh, this is where the uh, the weight savings is coming from. And if you think about it, uh, when you're making thousands of frames a year, if you have to double your uh, if you have to double your time for each frame and form, that means you need double the molds. Double the floor space on the factory and double everything. So it's not easy. You cannot just say, okay, then why don't we just make everything on the X light version? Because you need double everything. So practically, you have to do pretty much uh, the, the vast majority on the fast production line. And then you take care of, when well, I say take care, you take extra care on the ones that they are the extra light version. And uh, yeah, for
0: 100 grams, you have to actually double your uh, production time. That's amazing. I mean, I've, we've had a lot of good feedback about these shows, trusted. I mean, many, many subscribers have been in touch. And one of them a, a very old friend of mine who works for an extremely high-end audio component company, he works for Lynn Products, who make, you know, one of the most expensive turntables in the world. Mm. I mean, they, they're marginal gains to the, the nth degree. And he's been really impressed. He's actually sent me a, a couple of questions, which I wonder if I could throw at you.
1: Okay.
0: <laughs> um, I mean, they're not, they're not difficult questions. Uh, well, actually they are difficult questions. They're not controversial questions. He was wondering if you had a blank canvas without the UCI rules and regulations and, and infinite ro- resources, How much faster do you think you could make a time trial bike? Um, Yeah, that's an
1: interesting one. Uh, It will be more of a time uh, element in in the sense of uh, how much time you can put in your R&D to find all the little improvements here and there. So for argument's sake, uh, that uh, we start today for the next Tour de France uh, Say for the 2019, your package, as in the bike and uh, what the rider is wearing and all that stuff, and the position of the rider and so on, you will probably have a gain something in the region of about um, two or three mm-hmm. percent. If that, and uh, then maybe next year about the same, and but and always it will be uh, two or three percent on the year before. So, in effect, to some extent, you have like diminishing returns after Either. a point mm-hmm. Because uh, This 2% or 3% is always more or less the same percentage, but with a smaller number. So, it is more the time that you need to put in uh, rather than anything else. It doesn't matter after a point really how much money you throw at it. You know, it's uh, how much time you have. Time always beats you before you run out of ideas.
0: Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm.
1: you will first run out of time before you run out of ideas, in fact.
0: The other question you had, which is is really interesting to me, is we've seen you almost lead the way in in using 3D printing to build vital components, you know, time trial handlebars, not just kind of small widgets like chain catchers. Is there a future, do you think, for a company like Pinarello, for example, being able to offer a completely custom frame to a customer with enough money that's 3D printed? You know, is, is whole 3D printed frames in our future? I think
1: it is entirely possible, and I think that's where things they go. For the time being, the 3D printing technology, um, it's great. It can do a lot of lot of, like uh, really weird and wonderful things. But to be fair, it is too slow and too expensive. Mm. Um, and I'm saying that first-hand experience because uh, this is what we're doing in-house. Uh, where the benefit comes from the 3D printing is that you can do geometries that you pretty much have no other way of doing. So in the future, in the future, you can do today a complete 3D printed frame and fork and handlebar and anything else you want. It's going to just cost you the earth. I mean, you're talking about like it's going to cost you like a hundred thousand pounds to do a complete bike, maybe more. So it's <laughs> uh, today, although yes, you can do it. I don't think uh, you're going to go and do a complete frame
0: or anything like this. I think, I think for, the, for a designer uh, like you, uh, it would be incredibly useful to go through prototypes fast with 3D printing, though. I, uh,
1: we're already doing this, but that is in metal. I
0: yeah. mean, I don't think uh, it's only Pinarello. It's, it's, I think every has decent
1: manufacturer around the world. You first design the, the the bike or the handlebar or whatever else in uh, CAD, and then you're making it uh, in plastic, 3D printing plastic. This is, this is nothing new. We're already doing this uh, with Pinarello for I don't know, five, six years, and uh, we're not really the first. I'm pretty sure that's not the case. No, I'm pretty sure there were others that were doing it before. So I think the first time uh, we've done a 3 that I've done at least myself, a 3D printed frame, it was in 2008, I think. And then the first time, if we go further back, the first time we did a 3D printed art testing wind tunnel and so on, uh, I think it was 2004, 2005. So, it's, it's nothing new for, to do in, in plastic, but to do real usable components. Uh, yes, we do have the 3D printed handlebars now for uh, relevant time trials. And I think the future on this for usable components, we're not talking about computer arms and stuff like this. There are already people doing computer arms and so on, and so on. But, uh, for something which is a structural part.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: think mm-hmm. the future on this it is perhaps smaller. Uh, that you can fit on the chamber relatively easy and it can be i don't know maybe handlebar stems uh, maybe seat posts maybe seat post clamps you know relatively small ease parts and uh, i can tell you from experience you can actually save weight and make better parts uh, this way uh, because we already done it and there are a few things out there
2: absolutely fascinating stuff and also What was great there, Demetrius, was the um, talking about the stuff coming off the production line because it reminded me about 10 years ago, I saw a fantastic uh, symposium, they called it. It was quite a grand event in London, a symposium with Ben Sirota. Oh, yeah. I was still running his company before it sadly all went under. And he was claiming that big bike manufacturers, he named some American manufacturers, simply had all of these thousands of frames made then weighed them and there'd be quite considerable discrepancies because of just production anomalies and then the lightest ones would be called the pro version with the special red carbon and the others would be the medium version and he said it was all complete bullshit and i I never knew if that was just him being a bit funny or not so for you to hear to say that that no actually they are coming out of production line and you know, with different weights and such, and that. that- but, yeah, this this is uh, this is reality in every production line.
1: It's not really only on bikes. You know, I dealt in the past with aeroplanes, sports cars, all sorts of things. We do have variation. Like to give, to give you an idea, the carbon fibre as it comes out of the production line, uh, the fibre itself it has uh, an upper and a lower limit, both in strength and in stiffness. Then when you take this fiber and you make uh, the what they call the pre which is actually the pre is the fiber with the resin, it's just like the fabric with the resin that we make in the parts and so on. These will also have manufacturing tolerances, which uh, the manufacturing tolerances is like plus or minus 3%. So then when you have plus or minus 3% on your material alone, and mm-hmm. then you start making components out of that, as you cutting the material, there will be small differences. Then as you're placing the material in the mold, there will be also small differences. And then as you're doing the curing and uh, you adding more parts on and so on, each individual part will have small differences. And if for argument's sake, everything ends up on the plus 3% on one bike and everything ends up on the minus 3% on the other bike, here's your 6% difference.
2: Mm, fascinating,
1: and this, uh, this is this is absolutely normal. Don't see it all oh, yep. bikes and uh, and all that stuff. Aeroplanes are the same thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, aeroplanes uh, you have tighter tolerances because uh, and the testing is a lot more uh, rigid. But uh, you know everything you make
2: is the same thing. You know you have manufacturing tolerances. Yeah. And one thing I thought was really interesting looking at there's there's tech galleries after tech galleries of the 2018 tour. And what we've seen is lots of um aero bikes lots of aero bikes with disc brakes whereas with sky they've stuck to the f10 and the f10 x light and i know sky have, have been using some disc brake bikes in other races and we did actually have i had a chat with one manufacturer on online uh, with cannondale because i was just chatting with them on twitter saying well of have you increased drag with the disc brakes? And they said, well, no, we haven't. And this is why, and I've invited them on the podcast to, to talk about the details, but I've not had a reply yet, unfortunately. But obviously, like Keith Bontranger said when he came on the podcast a year or two ago, the bicycle industry is a fashion industry as well. Yeah. So that There is, as you say, there's the brand image and there's the need to sell components. So in your opinion, all these aero bikes with disc brakes is this pure fashion would they be better off with rim brakes or are they overall better bikes because there's often a bit of um compromise in the braking isn't there if you've got an aero bike with a traditional rim brake yeah um
1: okay i think in the general scheme of things disc brakes are here to stay i Mm -hmm. think in in three to five years' time, you will hardly see a rim-brake bike on the Tour de France. And uh, partly for performance, uh, when I say performance, um, the performance of a bike, it is actually many things. It's not only aero, it's not only weight, it's many, many, a little uh, weight is one, aero is the other, reliability, how well it corners and all that. So, um The main disadvantage, there are two disadvantages right now with the disc brakes. Probably the main disadvantage is weight, because you have, depending on what is your starting point, you have anything between 100 and 300 grams there or thereabouts, uh, weight penalty. And uh, aerodynamics, there is a small aerodynamic penalty when you move from um, rim brakes to disc brakes. Uh, But again, it depends very much what is your starting point. If your starting point is not a very aero bike and with normal uh, rim brakes and you end up with a design which is an aero frame with disc brakes, there is a very good chance that uh, you're going to end up better. Mm. Uh, But if your starting point is a very aero bike and you stick disc brakes on, you will have today a small uh, penalty. And we're talking about, like, when I say small, small in the region of roughly in the 1% or thereabouts. And uh, I'm sure that as things, they develop, because one of the things that I realize designing these things is that the the moment you knock out the, um, the rim brakes, you have more design freedom to do things around that area on the front and on the back. So, uh, with a little bit of time, you know what I said, you know, you're running out of time before you run out of ideas. Uh-huh. With a little bit of time, you can design the area that uh, you had the inbreak on in a better way that you can make that area so much better because you don't have the inbreak that it will negate, it will, it will cancel out the, um, the penalty, if I can say, from the disk. And then eventually, as the time is going by, I'm sure that we will find ways of uh, like uh, improving the error uh, of the, the area around the disk and so on. We already found a way that you can do that, uh, which uh, the main issue with this one because I can tell you now, you just put a cover over it, uh, it's more error. But the problem with that is that uh, the moment you put a cover over it, uh, you are uh, uh, how do you dissipate the heat from the disk? So right now you cannot do it because you cannot remove the, the heat from the disc. So yeah, so there, there, we will find ways. Give us a bit of time,
0: please. <laughs> I've always had this picture in my, in my head of the disc being mounted in the centre of the hub with the caliper coming out from an arm on the fork so that it's, it's you know, it's all of the dirty airs far away from it before you start. Say that again. If you had the disc mounted in the centre of the hub and the brake caliper coming on an arm from the inside of the fork. Oh, yeah, yeah. You would take yeah. it out of the dirty airflow from the, the front of the wheel.
1: Uh, to some extent, because the rim is actually quite far away. But yes, there will be some of that. And uh, there is a design that I sketched uh, like this many years ago, that uh, you have like a a one-arm fork, very much like some of these motorbikes, you know, Ducati motorbikes they have on the back and so on, a one-arm uh, uh, support for the wheel and uh, the disc in the center of it. So, and the, you will need some sort of three or four spoke wheel with uh, spokes that they are bending outwards, and mm. the disc is in the center. So technically, it is possible. Uh, I think the to have hard that. <laughs> <laughs> it would be interesting. <laughs>
2: so we could, we could speak for several podcasts, probably just about transmission. You know, oversized jockey wheels and all the rest of it. But it is the time trial today. So let, let's look at the Belida time trial bike. And it does seem like the sort um, of France organizers have got quite an interesting course for us today. It's pretty lumpy with the final climb hitting 21% at its final part. So you are going to have to have an all round time trial bike in order to achieve that.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You will have to be able to, it will have to be low weight. It will have to be that you have uh, good, strong brakes. Which, in this case, disc brakes, in some cases, depending on what are the the brakes you're using on your. Uh, in, in some cases, disc brakes they might be better. Like some time trial bikes, when you're using non-standard rim brakes, uh, then some time trial bikes with. Um, sorry, if we compare, uh, if you compare a standard rim brake, say a Shimano or a Campagnolo top-of-the-range uh, rim brake, with a disc brake, the performance on the discs, uh, comparing to the rim ones, on the dry, the difference between them is quite small, in fact. But if you have some of these bikes that are using some of these special um, rim brakes that are, like, uh, hidden behind uh, things and so on, sometimes these are not that good. Although today, I have to say they improved quite a lot, but some of the older versions, they were not that good. So, in that case, if you have some of these uh, old style um, rim brakes, then your braking is not very good. So, uh, as you're coming down the mountain, you have to start braking a lot earlier, so you're losing time. And uh, a disc brake will allow you to come closer to the corner before you go hard on the brakes in the corner. So... Uh, a disc brake in some cases like this will have an advantage weight of course you have to take it up the mountain and uh, I I was on the starting line of the 2014 um, four years ago but the bikes are very similar still 2014 time trial World World Championship time trial and uh, the weight of the bikes for the pros at that time the range of the weight it was uh, between 8.3, 8.2, 8.3 to about nine and a half kilos, if you can believe. And uh, that was in 2014. In 2016, when there was like a, a mountainous time trial on the, on the zero, uh, what we did uh, at that time is we put a lot of effort to actually uh, cut down the weight. And uh, the new body day was introduced at that time, and uh, we managed to save 350 grams. And when I say 350 grams, that was from the bikes that they were measuring the lightest in 2014. And uh, the you Nofrum's know, bike, on the start of the time trial in 2016, on the Mountain's time trial, it was seven, uh, either 7.2 or 7.3. The next lightest bike, outside the sky bikes, it was like over a kilo area. So yeah, when you take it up the mountain, weight is important. And yep. then you need to have good brakes so it can you can brake as late as possible. It's becoming almost like Formula One. Mm. You have to go into the corner by braking the very last minute, and you have to carry as much speed around the corner as much as
2: possible. So, yeah,
1: technically.
2: Yeah, and it, what what's been really interesting is looking at some of the time trial and aero road designs where they're still using cable rim brakes is some um, horrific cable routing for the mechanics so the 2019 trek madone the cable rim brake version has completely proprietary brakes and the brake cable goes through the fork steerer and there's a hole drilled really at the crown of the fork where the the cable comes out which i'm sure they've done their research but it certainly does make me wince and it wouldn't be much fun to work on and you know, I've noticed a lot of these bikes, there's quite a lot of friction, you know, in that because of the torturous cable routing. So there's certainly, I can see the case for the hydraulic brakes and disc brakes there.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, internal cables, by the time you do it with normal uh, rim brakes, it is difficult. I mean, uh, uh, on the day, uh, we actually tried to do this quite a lot and uh, we must make it work quite well. But it is difficult. It is not easy to route the cables through. Like um, there is a little story, you know. Once a couple of years ago, um, we were trying to do something like this. Like we were trying to change the handlebar. I was with Sky. And we had like a. We were trying to do a new handlebar combination for one of the I think it was Gary Thomas. Ride. And uh, we said, okay, let's take this handlebar from this body. But I can put it on this body. And uh, it was between myself and uh, another guy from Sky. And we were there till about 3 o'clock in the morning trying to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and then I realised why the mechanics were complaining. They were saying, this is terrible. Mm. Hold on a minute. I have the cat meowing loudly over here.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: now... I know you're wanting to get away so that you can prepare to watch your bikes in action in the, the final time <laughs> trial of the Tour de France. Can I just thank you again, Demetris, for taking the time to talk to us over the three weeks? We've had loads of good feedback. And again, if you've enjoyed these short shows on the, the Velocast feed and the Cycle Systems Academy feed people, you should subscribe to the Cycle Systems Academy podcast because there's a much longer show with Demetris from just before the Tour. Uh, Sean? I think it's been a real privilege to talk to Dimitris, so thank you for, for bringing him on board. I suspect we'll be talking to him again in the future, though.
2: So. Yeah, I, I um, second that, Dimitris. It's been absolutely fascinating talking to you, and it feels like each time we could just talk all day about tech. There seems to be so much that isn't talked about on the websites and uh, you know, by manufacturers and in magazines, so it's been fascinating to delve that little bit deeper
1: that's great thank you very much guys thanks uh, it was great for me to actually being able to like uh